0: Why work is a question we ask ourselves periodically in many different ways. Why should I be doing this work? It's good to know when that's the question, no matter how we frame it or who's asking it. It's not just that we ask ourselves, why work? Why should I be doing this? Why try? But other people ask us this same thing. And there'll be people who are close to us. They'll ask us the same thing. It may be framed in a way that seems innocuous, but it's really a challenge And it's really a self-justification. When someone else asks you, it's a justification for themselves not to work. And it's a challenge to you not to work. Jess told a story a couple weeks ago about setting this aim for himself not to be so identified with his son's wrestling matches. Jess used to wrestle in high school. So when his son wrestles, he is there and completely identified. And so he made it an aim not to be as identified as he had been. Well, he shared that aim with someone else, someone who no longer works. And that person asked, well, why don't you just let yourself enjoy the match? The real question is not, why don't you just let yourself enjoy life? Why don't you just be real? Why do you try and discipline yourself in these areas? Why don't you just be real? Why don't you just let it out? Why don't you just enjoy life? Why don't you just have fun? Why don't you just do all these things? Why don't you just give yourself over to these things? That's really the question. No matter how it sounds... That's the question. You have to learn how to divine the real question when you hear something. And the only way to do that is to start to be sincere, genuine, and honest with yourself. You must observe yourself, and you must do it sincerely without criticizing yourself, and you must be genuine about wanting to know the truth. If you are, you will find the answer. Those who knock, it's open to them. Those who seek, they find. Those who ask, receive. It's the way the universe works. The universe is set up, request, response. You make a genuine request, it will genuinely respond to your genuine request. The problem is, is that most of us don't make genuine requests because we don't know what we're asking. We don't know what the real question is. And it's because we don't know ourselves. And if you don't know yourself, how can you know what you're asking? How can you know what to ask? How can you know what you want if you don't know yourself? This is the first thing. You've got to begin to know yourself which is very difficult because the self that we know is not the self that we really are. It's the lie that we have bought. It's the album of pictures that we have collected that make us look good. So the real question here is why work? Now, Pat shared a self-observation with someone else who no longer works. She realized something about herself, and she shared that with a person who used to be in the work but no longer is interested in the work and no longer does the work. In fact, never really did the work. Just did what most people do with the work. They read about the work, they talk about the work, they listen to other people talk about the work, but they don't do the work themselves. They never apply it to themselves. And because they never apply it to themselves, they're not really doing the work. And of course, if you're not doing the work, you're not in the work because the work isn't in you. When I say work, I do not mean the fourth way. When I say work, I mean esotericism, I mean the work of spiritual development, I mean the work of psychological development, if that's the way you have to hear it. Whatever you have to hear, some people can hear it's working on your soul, developing your soul. And other people have to hear developing your psychology. Other people here have to hear developing spiritually. Whatever it is you have to hear, whatever it is your belief system has limited you, has made you filter out everything else. So everybody has a belief system, and every belief system eliminates some other belief system. That's why we say in this work, don't believe anything, verify it. Unfortunately, we are the worst culprits when it comes to this. We are probably the most narrow-minded people on earth. When it comes to this work, people are narrow minded and inflexible and not very adaptable. They have to have it in this certain way. They have to be spoon fed Gurdjieff's words. Exactly. Gurdjieff's examples. Exactly. They even go around mimicking his halting speech. I mean, they shave their heads and pose like the famous pictures of Gurdjieff, you know, with his bald head and the dark background and his looking up. You know, I I, I can't tell you how many of those I've seen. It's like, oh, my God, come on, people, wake up. I'm not saying they know they're doing it. But I'm saying this is a testimony to the sleepness, the mechanicalness of what happens if you do anything religiously. This is about working on yourself, not imitating and mimicking someone else. So... It's okay to imitate and mimic someone else if you're trying to... So your violin teacher shows you, okay, it's like this. You put your fingers like this. You hold your hand like this. Okay, then mimic that, but make it yours. See, that's what you have to do. You have to start off, but your, your idea of mimicking is to make it yours, to get it inside of you. Once it's inside of you, it's going to take a different form. You can never be your violin teacher. You're going to be your own violin teacher someday. If you'll stick with it, you will be your own violin teacher someday. You will be able to pass this on to someone else. I don't know why I picked violin teachers. Maybe it's because of Rachel sitting back there. And I don't know. But anyway, it's, it's a good example. And it's something that we need to be aware of when we take on anything because we're idol worshippers. We put people up on pedestals and we worship them. And it's not good to do that because we need to be looking inside of ourselves and finding whatever it is we're projecting out there inside of ourselves, whether it's good or bad. Sometimes it's harder to find the good things inside of ourselves than it is to find the bad things inside of ourselves. It's like we seem to muckrake easily, but give someone a compliment, pay someone a compliment and notice how their eyes are averted or how they ignore it or how they'll brush right over it. They're doing that on the outside. On the inside, they're not doing that at all. On the inside, they're taking it to the bank. (laughs) <laughs> you know, on the inside, they're doing something with it. On the outside, they're pretending not to. And so we need to see these things about ourselves. You need to see this about yourself. That's really the bottom line. You need to see this about yourself. I need to see this about myself. I wouldn't be talking to you about it if I hadn't seen it about myself. So anyway, Pat shared this observation she had about herself. And it was, you know, it was a fa- the fact that she saw something that she had not been seen before. And she realized that she needed something. She had something she needed to work on. She needed to bring this up into her consciousness. She needed to make this alive in her awareness. She needed to have this thing hanging on the wall where she could see it so that it couldn't do what it did when she couldn't see it. When it was out of sight and out of mind, it could work anything it wanted to work. But if she kept it in the light, then it couldn't do that so much. So one of her things is thinking, okay, well, this guy, he understands the work. I can share this with him. Well, it wasn't that way. He had a very negative reaction to it and got very angry and said, you know, well, why work? His idea of work was all negative. Why do you have to be so negative? You found something wrong with yourself. That's negative. Why do you have to do that? Why do people always have to do that? Well, the answer, the question is, why work? That's the question. Why work? Yes, we all have negative things. Yes, we're all screwed up. Why should we bother working? There's nothing we can do about it. The work itself says you can't do. So why should I do this? Why bother? I'm just tormenting myself. I'm just torturing myself. This is nonsense. It's a good question, isn't it? So I'm going to talk about this. In the event you haven't asked yourself, I'll ask you, why should you work on yourselves? Why has this work always existed in life in different forms, in religious forms and schools and otherwise? Why has this work always existed? Always existed. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of years of history of this work existing in some form, in some way. Why has it existed? Why can't I just be real and let life happen and have fun? In other words, why work? Why shouldn't I gossip? Everybody else does. Why shouldn't I give him a piece of my mind? Why shouldn't I? It'll do him some good. Maybe it'll teach him a lesson. We're not self-developing organisms. Not really. The work just says that. But really, we have to be taught by other people. Some of the best lessons I've ever learned have been hard lessons, and that's why I'm being hard with you. And that's all a lie, of course. Why you're being hard is because you're negative. It has nothing to do with the other person. You're negative, and your negative reaction is to be spiteful. Your negative reaction is retribution. Your negative reaction is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's the truth. But it takes a lot to see that. You have to look at yourself to see that and stop looking at the work and trying to find faults with it. Instead, look at what the work says about you and see if it's true. Genuinely, really give it a a shot. Really try and see if it's true. If there's any truth in it at all, or if it's just all about all the other people in the world, and you're the only one it's not about, because you can see it's about other people. Everyone hears this work, and immediately they say, boy, so-and-so could use this. They don't go, oh, I could really use this. They say, oh, I know somebody who could use this. Well, I could, you know, a little touch up here, brush up there, you know, a little... Touch up little thing. You know, you get these little things of paint. You have, you get a car and you get this little, little dinky thing of paint, little touch-up paint thing. And you go, and if you get a somebody opens their car door into you or whatever, you back into this or that. You just put this little, you shake it up, and you put this little thing on there, and supposed to cover up the spot. Well, you know, I could use a little thing of touch-up paint, but that person over there needs a whole new paint job, you know, and a body shop too, because they've been in a wreck, you know, they're really bad. But we need to see that about ourselves. And it's not something that just springs to mind. Why shouldn't I unload on people all day long? Why shouldn't I hate when I feel like hating? Everybody else does. Why should I have to try to change my reactions toward life, toward people, toward circumstances, towards events? Why should I have to? Why should I work? Why shouldn't I do as I damned well please? Well, you know, these are good questions. Or, one of the great ones is, If God had wanted man to fly, he would have given him wings. If God wanted me to be different, he would have made me different. I'm a hateful, gossiping, negative person because this is the way God made me. Well, the work says, no, not really. And and when I say the work, I mean all of these teachings all down through the ages that all say the same thing, that are all, there's this golden thread weaving them all together that goes through a big tapestry of history. And this golden thread and these silver threads go through all of history. You'll find them everywhere in every culture, in every time, in every people, in every language. Why is it there? It's not there for everyone. It's only there for people who can see it. Some people never see it. They never see the golden threads in the tapestry. Well, they say, wow, look at that. She's a real babe, isn't she, up there in the corner? Or somebody over there goes, yeah, I want to live in a house like that. man. the one up there on the hill, that's the one. But he's got servants and everything. Somebody else sees something else in the tapestry. They never see the little golden threads that hold it all together. Why should I have to do something that takes effort rather than behaving as I naturally would? That's really the question. Why should I have to make effort instead of just being real, being myself, just letting it flow? Well, because, well, if I answered that now, it'd be the end of the talk, so i better not. (laughs) Yes, I've still got you for another 15 or 20 minutes, so (laughs) there's more. (laughs) You know, it's like playing the fish, I guess, maybe. (laughs) There's no reason. If you don't want to fly, if you like your life the way it is, and you don't want anything to be different, if you don't mind this endless repetition of suffering, if you don't mind that, then there is no reason. Why should I work? No reason. If you're happy, don't work. If you like life the way it is, if everything's fine with you, don't work. There's no reason whatsoever. This work is a gift. And if you've been fortunate enough to receive that gift and you know it, then the question won't be so pressing for you, why work? But it still will come up and you must account for second force. There are forces that will oppose your efforts and one of them is, why should I? Why work? Why bother? Reese Nicole said, the greatest hypnotism in life is that you think you will find your goal in life. This is absolutely the linchpin, the greatest hypnotism in life. This is what keeps us asleep, thinking that you're going to find your goal in life. It keeps us hooked. This work is about awakening from sleep. What sleep? Kabir wrote, whenever the wave of lust comes, one should wake himself up. When you're carried off by passion, you behave in a certain way. The cat is behaving in a certain way now because there are things outside that are moving in a way that attract his attention and trigger his instinctive moving center, and make him behave in a certain way. So he is trying to catch and kill, catch, play with, and kill whatever small, flitting thing he sees out the window. And he is completely obsessed with that. He is in a passion. Would you agree that his attention is completely riveted, not because he is giving it, but because something on the other side of that window is drawing it, attracting it. He has no choice. He is being a cat. Agreed? Good. The reason I asked you before we started this whole talk to notice that was because I want you to make sure that you understand that you are like that, that that is exactly what you are like. Your attention is just as captured by things in life, and you are just as helpless as that cat. There's nothing else that you can do. So my question is, why work if there's nothing else you can do? Well, because you're not a cat. You have the possibility of evolution. You have the possibility to do something else. You have the possibility of making a choice. He has no possibility of making a choice. No possibility at all. He has no possibility of consciousness in his current state. Maybe next time around, but now, no way. When you're carried off by passion, you behave like the cat. While under the control of passion, you may do much harm by what you say and what you do. I ask you this. In those circumstances, are you awake or are you asleep? Are you hypnotized or not? While under hypnotism of passion, you thought everything you said and did was right. Later, you may realize it was wrong. What hypnotizes us and puts us to sleep is the passion, the lust. Kabir wrote, as I said, whenever the wave of lust comes, one should wake himself up. Lust and passion are the same thing. Strong, almost uncontrollable emotional desires. Why is it you give someone a piece of your mind Because you're in a passion, because it's a strong, almost uncontrollable desire. When can you control it? When that person is a police officer or somebody who has a gun in your face. It's amazing what kind of self-control you have in a moment like that, isn't it? Whereas if it's your wife or your husband or your kid, (laughs) forget it. There is no self-control at all. There is no reason not to give them a piece of your mind. So the only things that give us a reason to work are things in life when we do that. The only time people work, the only time you won't give somebody a piece of your mind is if you're going to get pounded or if you're going to jail or if you're going to die. Then you won't give that person a piece of your mind. But if, there's, if you see no consequence that you can't deal with, fine, you'll give them a piece of your mind. It's not like you have a choice about it. And if it's an underling and you can do it for free, ho, ho, ho. They're not just going to get a piece of your mind for what they did. They're going to get a piece of your mind for what everybody this week did that you couldn't do something about. This is our condition. This is why we should work. So while we're in this passion, while we're in this lust, we justify it. We justify what we do. We justify what we say. We justify what we did. We justify what we said. We've got it all worked out. Well, it was because of this. Well, there was nothing else I could do. Well, it was because of that. Self-justifying is putting yourself in the right all the time. Let's get this straight. Self-justifying is putting yourself in the right all the time. Now know this as a fact, as a truth, you self justify but I only do it sometimes if you self justify you put yourself in the right all the time because that is the definition of self-justifying putting yourself in the right all the time but I don't put myself in the right all the time sometimes I admit I'm wrong yes and when you do that you're right aren't you Bruce Nicole said people of coarser psychology don't ever realize that people of finer psychology feel a twinge of regret very few people realize They can't trust themselves in the moment of passion. Look at how long it takes before you begin to get a handle on sex. Look at all of the stupid things that you did before you finally, before life finally started to wear you down to the point where your hormones were not running you anymore. You look back at it and you think, oh my God. It's it's sorry is what it is. It's just this sorry history of tragedy after tragedy. That's passion. A man asleep is a man always governed by various passions and moods. When you're asleep, you're like the cat. You're governed by whatever's out there that's triggering your passions and moods. Think of some of the passions or strong emotions that run away with people in all walks of life. Love of money. In our country, you see it everywhere you go. Everybody wants to be rich and famous. Some people just want to be rich and famous, other people want to be rich and powerful. Sex, food, politics, religion, patriotism, racism, and all the other isms that we don't have time to list. All of these things are strong emotions, passions that run away with people in all walks of life. From the highest to the lowest, from the leftist to the rightist, and everywhere in between, people are controlled by these things. These passions work in life to keep humanity asleep. While the passion works in you, you're asleep. Prisons are full of people who were led there by crimes of passion that they did in their sleep. And they will spend years and years and years in prison. Just because you're not in Folsom Prison or whatever the closest prison is to you, Just because you're not in that prison doesn't mean you're not in a prison. The point of this work is to wake up, to wake us up, to dehypnotize us of life's hypnotism. The external events hypnotize us. The war in Afghanistan is a typical life event which has hypnotized millions. Look at how many people are on both sides of that. Get out, stop it, get in, and get it ended. Those both sides. Do it, don't do it. Millions of people are involved in that, not just Americans and Afghanis. People all over the world are involved in that. Spectators. It's like the Super Bowl. Not only are there two teams on the field playing and beating each other to death, there are millions of people all over the world watching. It's televised. Millions of people in the stands, there are hundreds of people out there who are, have little stands and are hawking this or hawking that, selling bullets, selling arms, selling airplanes, selling this, selling that, selling mines, selling drugs, selling bandages. What's the difference between that and the Super Bowl? Just a little different perspective. So we have the people who are doing it, making money doing it. They're being paid to be on the field. We have the people in the stands who paid to be there. We had the people who sold them the seats. We had the people who had the concessions, who were selling all of the weapons and all of this and all of that, and the bandages and the medication. We've got all that. What's the difference? Life fills you with passions to which you become enslaved. What you genuinely wish to do from yourself is usually very different from what your passions make you do. That's why you look back and you go, Oh, God, why did I do that? I wish I'd never done that. Because finally, when you're out of the passion, there's something of yourself, of your real self, you yourself, that can speak and you can hear. After the roar of the passion in your ears, after the roar of the tornado in your head, something, a still, small voice, whispers, man, we shouldn't have done that. What is most dangerous of all is that that which is common to us, our domestic lives, our own little life drama with which we become completely identified. The difficulties that arise from imagining that others are conscious causes us to judge, bicker, disagree, and quarrel. We do that most at home. That's the real trenches. Our personal relationships, our loved ones, our family, our children, our parents, our wives, our husbands, our relatives. That's where this work really becomes apparent, when we don't do it and when we do do it. Maurice Nicole said, as a rule... A hypnotized man marries a hypnotized woman, and then their married life consists in overcoming their self-hypnotism, usually, if they're in the work. If they're not in the work, then it's usually with bad results. The divorce rate is well over 50% in this country. I'd say that's usually with bad results, wouldn't you? Your goals in life are a major hindrance to your spiritual development. I know I've been hitting on this pretty hard recently, and... I can't promise, but maybe this will be the last time <laughs> this week. Wait, this week just started today. Next week. <laughs> next week, maybe. Maybe next week it'll be different. How many of you have made power and possession your goals? Okay. These belong to man asleep. This work will show you your goals are not bringing you peace. They're not bringing you internal happiness. Upon this discovery, many leave the work to find peace. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Because do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. These words sound familiar? Matthew 10, 34 and 35. Yes, people leave this work to find peace. They sue for peace. They sacrifice the truth for their peace of mind because the truth troubles them. This work troubles you. You bet it troubles you. And I should trouble you. And I know I do. I can tell just by the way you behave toward me that I trouble you mightily (laughs) on various occasions. And the only thing I can say is, wow, I do a great job, don't I? I trouble you. Whereas someone else may not trouble you at all. They may say these things and it just doesn't matter. But if I say it, somehow I say it in a way or somehow we have a relationship that if I say it, it's like, oh, oh. Some idiots will use that to justify quarreling. This is feeding the personality which lives by and for these goals, these passions. The false personality is kept alive by these passions. It could not exist without them. It gets its force, its energy, its lifeblood from stealing the force that you allow these passions to take from you, rather than using it where it was supposed to go. It's like siphoning gasoline out of your car. Let's say you have a truck, a work truck, and this work truck is to drive you to work so that you can make a living, and so that you progress in life, so that you can develop in life. But you come along, or someone comes along at night, and they siphon the gas out of the tank of your work truck. And then they make Molotov cocktails with that, and they burn down buildings, hospitals, and schools, and churches, and your place of business with the gas that they siphoned out of your work truck. You don't get to work. You don't have a place to work because all of your energy has been siphoned out by these passions and used for other things that do not promote your development. You get the picture? Cool. Without these passions, the false personality begins to perish. This is why you feel so despondent. Despondent means in low spirits from loss of hope or courage. This is why you feel despondent when you don't realize your goals in due time. What is due time? Yesterday. That's due time. Yesterday. When should I have had what I wanted? Yesterday. You've got to find out what kind of a person you are. You must come to yourself and see what drives you. When you see the passions, the desires, and the goals that hypnotize you, that run you, you must use what has been taught to wake yourself up. No one can do this for you. You must do this yourself. This concludes our message this morning. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.